Brilliant indeed, Ba. And, you know, we'll get jumping straight into our topic and uh, people have been talking about, hey, the baggages and this is happening. And we know the, uh, uh, you know, the, the people being stealing and doing <laughs> things like this. Uh, what type of people have we got, you know, working? Not only here. Is this done throughout the world, Ba, or is this only a South African uh, problem? Look, it happens, Ba, you know, either to a greater or a lesser uh, extent all over the world, right? It's not just uh, peculiar to South Africa, but I think, uh, uh, in my opinion, of course, I think uh, South Africa is leading the way insofar as purpose from uh, passengers, baggage and things like that. Uh, and this is not just some a new phenomenon. It's been ongoing for many decades. And I think uh, the more dis- desperate our socioeconomic uh, circumstances get, the worse the privilege will get. And this is notwithstanding all sorts of new and fandangled technological and other surveillance systems that they have, including uh, putting, uh, uh, you know, their own people undercover as well. That, But uh, the operation itself is so big, especially at Orchambo, o- which is our main gateway to South Africa, that these people still find a way around it, huh? Try as you may. Yeah, as uh, we heard that about said, they still find the way. And, you know, if your pa- parcel has to or your baggage has to go, it has to go. And then uh, recently, uh, our Mufti A.K. Hussein he was in the, uh, what was it, at the Ushaka uh, mm. airport. And, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, King Shaka airport. And there he says... Uh, the conveyor belt uh, gave up that system, and they had to walk with the baggage. I mean, that's how baggages are brought. Uh, I mean, that's a disaster, ba. Yeah, well, if what you're saying is true, and that happened at uh, our local King Shaka Airport, then you recall a few weeks back over the Christmas weekend, the same thing happened in uh, or Tambo. And, of course, I think we covered this thing in uh, maybe a program or two going back. Yes. Yeah. And uh, they put it down to some technical, uh, you know, uh, sensor or some nonsense like that. Uh, I think basically it's just uh, the wrong people in uh, in technical maintenance or lack of funding to do regular preventative maintenance that is causing these problems. Uh, or you cannot rule out the fact that uh, sabotage uh, can be, of course, uh, a factor as well. But uh, to a lesser extent, I would think. But uh, by and large, I think like everything else, they're not doing it right. And that is why you have these frequent breakdowns. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, airport, you should have simply the best staff the country can offer. But because of, you know, your different types of regulations you have, yeah. you, yeah, you're you, you compromised and so forth. Uh, rumors, and I don't know how true this is, uh, so Ramaphosa is not well. He's in hospital. Some say, some say yes, some say no, and some say. Uh, you have you any inside information, Ba? To be quite honest, you, uh, this is news to me. I haven't been following up on everything, being so busy. And uh, yeah, no, I'm not, uh, you know, a fay, 
with what the situation is. He could be, he couldn't be. I, I'm not sure. And uh, I'll be keen to look it up and see what's really going on. Yeah, he's. Uh, I think his good friend uh, Jacob Zuma is putting a lot of pressure on him. His own, uh, uh, what is his own comrade? Uh, yeah, comrade. Uh, those that he thought uh, will back him yeah. after him, and uh, then you know there's a threat that uh, Israel made. Well, South Africa, you take us to the ICG, you there'll be repercussions. So uh, rumors, allegations, poison. This happened. That happened. Yeah, Allah, Allah, Allah. you can't put anything past those barbarians. Nothing. Can't put anything past them. Anything is possible. Yeah, as you know, politic, uh, political killings. And then uh, the history of uh, Shaka Zulu and oh. his brother Dingan. Dingan. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> we can't forget that story. And <laughs> conveniently, uh, the those stories uh, did come out. Uh, but uh, here's a story, Eba. And it says, uh, cabin crew uh, discipline. Saved 379 lives. Uh, quite interesting. What's that all about? Yeah, it is very interesting. You know, and the thing is, having been having been to Japan on quite a few occasions, uh, I still firmly believe that uh, they come from another planet. You know, when it comes to discipline and doing things differently from the rest of us, they are in a league of their own. And uh, this was born out, of course, in the swift and disciplined actions of the cabin crew that uh, was credited with saving 379 lives during a recent uh, collision of Japan airline flight JL-516 with the Japanese Coast Guard aircraft at Tokyo's Haneda Airport. I think one was coming in and the other one going out, and of course there was a collision. That uh, smaller plane uh, was totally destroyed with the loss of all uh, passengers on board there. I'm not sure exactly how many it were, they were on it, uh, but I would think maybe about uh, five or six crew and uh, others on it that lost their lives. However, coming back to the case in point, and despite the intense danger, the cabin crew that was well drilled adhered to protocol, waited for evacuation command from the cockpit amidst the flames and smoke and completed the evacuation as all 379 people completely in record time. And this showcased the rigorous training of the cabin crew and the calm response of the majority of the passengers that contributed, uh, you know, considerably. Uh, if it were anywhere else, even if it were in South Africa, it would have been different because half of us would be dying to get our bags from the overhead lockers, <laughs> despite the fact that you are told to leave everything and go and panic and drama. But uh, coming back to the uh, mannerisms, uh, of the Japanese people uh, that I spoke about earlier uh, that did play a huge part in it. And both the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration and, of course, the International Civil Aviation Organization, uh, you know, they require aircraft manufacturers to demonstrate full evacuation within 90 seconds. So if you've got a whole plane load, you must be able to get them out of there in an emergency in 90 seconds. And there is a specific drill that they are called upon to practice uh, regularly. And it seems that uh, that practice made perfect. And it uh, was borne out in the fact that there were no casualties despite the severity of the accident. And uh, this was, uh, you know, ex it exceeded uh, the uh, time 
allowed, the time window is allowed for landing. And of course, uh, making sure that you're talking to them through the smoke and the flames using a loud hailer only. And uh, everyone behaved well and they followed safety protocols, left all their belongings behind and uh, everyone was saved. Unfortunately, the same cannot be said for those uh, in the Coast Guard small aircraft, all of them, all five of them lost their lives. And uh, it, uh, this incident serves to highlight the critical role of a well-trained cabin crew, uh, quick thinking, quick acting, and uh, passenger cooperation, of course, in emergency situations, all uh, combine to result in a successful evacuation and uh, sort of minimizing casualties. So, uh, yeah, hats off to these people. Like I said, they're in a league of their own, and it shows. You know, but Allah has blessed you that you travel the world over and a compliment from you for the Japanese. I mean, they should send you a certificate for that or a big claim <laughs> or something else. But, uh, you know, you have seen that uh, Muslim countries, so-called, you know, Muslim countries, which, uh, you know, cabin crew would you rate the best? I mean, uh, they say Qatar or, you know, Etihad and so on. Which, uh, which, uh, which Muslim country would you rate uh, top Sabah? Well, look, uh, Qatar and I know Emirates prides itself, right? But uh, they've slipped down in the rankings over the years, you know, telling you that they've got people that speak Chinese, Japanese, this, that, and every other language that you can think of. But, uh, yeah, I think it'll be a toss-up in the with the Middle East carriers uh, uh, bar that are right up there with the rest of them. But then again, it, it all term- is determined by the crew on duty, yeah, and uh, the culture, the background, the training, the mindset, the professionalism, et cetera, et cetera. And, and this is where I give the Japanese crew top marks, you know, and just uh, adding on to that and a totally unrelated incident. Uh, if you recall, there was the Soccer World Cup not so long ago and uh, where Japan played. And uh, after the game, bah, they all stayed, all the Japanese supporters, no matter the team loss, they all stayed and they picked mm. up all the dirt in the stadium that they had occupied. Now, nobody does this in a hurry. It hasn't been done by anyone else that I know of, but uh, it just it's indicative of mindset and uh, how they go about doing things. And uh, that's them, and uh, there's no taking it away from them. Yeah, you know, we always told, hey, Singapore is the cleanest city in the, on earth. And, uh, you know, when they throw anything, they, oh, the if anyone plane. throws something, they go into jail. But the Japanese, uh, by the very nature, they have this type of uh, disposition, which is very refined indeed. And yeah. in their, uh, you know, dietary habits, in their mm. exercises and so forth, um, they live for a, a ripe old age, Abba. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it is so, not surprising. I mean, if you look at it, uh, you know, everything that you mentioned, uh, you know, plays a role in it. And uh, of course, the fact that they lived to a ripe old age, it's not uh, by chance because uh, at the end of the day, they take good care of themselves. And this is uh, the culture, basically. And uh, it's been going on for centuries. And uh, I don't think it's going to change anytime soon notwithstanding, of course, every uh, overture effort by the West to try and bring in, uh, you know, <laughs> McDonald's and this and that and everything else to try and change the sort of uh, diet and things like that. No, these guys are very steadfast in what they do and their culture is very strong and deep-rooted. And I think uh, this is why, uh, you know, they, they are so outstanding in so many regards, insofar as mannerisms, character and uh, disposition socially and otherwise.
Now, Ba, you know, I've been thinking aloud uh, whilst you were talking there about uh, national carriers. Like if you find the Turkish airlines, they will be employing uh, more Turks to fly the planes. Uh, Pakistanis obviously will have uh, Pakistani uh, captains and pilots and so forth. And I'm thinking of uh, maybe Malaysian airlines. Uh, the Britishers, okay, you'll find um, a mixture maybe. It's being diluted. But, uh, you know, which country, like South African Airlines, uh, we used to have the cream of the crop pilots. Uh, now, who do we employ? About? Do we get uh, overseas, uh, uh, you know, pilots or captains coming in and flying our aircrafts? And which other countries uh, import pilots and cabin crew and so forth? Well, look, I think uh, they were with the COVID has come and gone. The thing is, a lot of they lost a lot of the uh, the old school pilots, and a lot of them that were dropping dead because of the so-called vaccine. Yeah. So uh, at the moment, I think uh, there is something of a shortage of uh, uh, skilled and experienced pilots. And uh, I think uh, you're going to take whatever you can get on the international market. Of course, they do their vetting and uh, background checks, etc., etc., and uh, put them through their paces before they even, uh, you know, allow them to fly. And uh, I'm not sure exactly how many pilots uh, South Africa South African Airlines and others have currently because their fleet has been reduced considerably over the years. <clears throat> I know they are looking to grow their uh, network again, so they'll be looking for more people. But uh, I think by and large, we cannot say that one lot is specifically better than the other because they all have to go through the same sort of basic training and uh, regular examinations and stuff like that to be granted a license to fly. Uh, and I think uh, it's a question of who puts more emphasis on training, regular training and upgrading and technology and things like that, that would ultimately determine the uh, the quality and of course the caliber of the uh, pilot and the captain and even going further into the back of the plane, the cabin crew. So uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure at the moment, Bob, but uh, I would think they, they take whatever they can get. You know, but even, you know, when you think about uh, how in the shipping, uh, uh, you know, fraternity, uh, when the captains are employed by different, uh, you know, shipping uh, companies, yeah. uh, you talk about the United Arab Shipping, yeah. uh, uh, they may bring in a Pakistani and then they maybe uh, uh, will hire a Britisher. And guess what? The salary discrepancy, same qualification, both are captains, but somehow that Britisher will get double the poor Pakistani's uh, salary. And the same with if they employed an American who may get slightly more than the Britisher or something like that. Why do we, you know, succumb to this type of, uh, you know, selective uh, no, employment? A simple, simple answer. It's just blatant racism. That's all it is. Mm. I mean, you can't tell me that the white man is superior and better than just uh, the black man or the brown man or the yellow man or whichever man you care to name. I mean, it's, it's a question of meritocracy at the end of the day. Who's the best person for the job? And uh, it's not necessarily every time that the white skin is going to do it, but uh, that's the uh, racism at play. And I always say, you can tell me what you want. Go around the world, any country you care to name. Whether it's overt or covert, that bloody racism will never die. It will always be there. Whether they show you a face that is smiling and stab you in the back, that's the specialist of the, uh, the British. Uh, the thing is, it's always there and it always will remain. 
and uh, not just castigating the British for what they are, but uh, if you go to the to the Middle East, whether it's Dubai or or Qatar or Bahrain or Saudi Arabia, if you're Amriki or Europa and all that, <laughs> you're in a pound seat straight away. Whether you're a fool or an absolute idiot or an imbecile and you don't know what you're doing, you'll still get the nod over the uh, so-called uh, subcontinental or Pakistani or Indian or or whatever other race, African for that matter, that may be better at doing whatever the, the job requires. And they will always give them a higher rate of pay and treat them, you know, like the snob that they are. They'll be licking their boots, basically, and then they'll be sort of tramping down on those from, uh, say, the, uh, the East or Africa or uh, anywhere else, India or whatever. That is a common trait that I've witnessed, not just in the airline industry, anywhere you care to look, it's the same old, same old. And I don't know, only by divine inter intervention or if Islam really gets into their heart and tells them that, you know, one is not superior than the other a, by his color or ability, but by his piety and his nearness to his creator. And uh, this unfortunately is lacking. They pay lip service to it, but uh, the reality of the situation is unfortunately otherwise. But I don't know the Dubai airport and, you know, I had the unfortunate experience of going to the back, you know, when the planes are flying out to Afghanistan or flying out mm. somewhere else. And they actually heard people in there uh, would like whoops. You know, they say, hey, this side, and, you know, you must be there uh, if you're reading Salah, and, you know, they, uh, and the security there is, uh, you know, the guards I'm talking about, they absolutely, like, uh, despotic and act like uh, prison guards. Why yeah. is that so, Ba? Well, look, uh, there is that, uh, that uh, necessity of getting planes off the ground in time. You know, everything runs like clockwork. And if you miss a slot or two and things, it just screws up the entire work. You know, delayed landing, late arrivals and all that sort of thing, which uh, costs the airline dearly. And of course, does nothing for their on-time reputation. Uh, that doesn't condone the actions of the guards. They shouldn't be treating them like cattle or sheep with prods and sticks and whips or whatever the case may be, as you mentioned. Uh, where is the humanity in them at the end of the day? And uh, so what if these people who are traveling are first-time travelers, come from rural areas that are not sophisticated and don't know the uh, norms that uh, are associated with with the sort of changing planes at uh, transit points, boarding and, and deplaning and things like that? If that is the case and they know what kind of market they are working with, then it, it behooves the airline concerned and, of course, the airport personnel on the ground to allow extra time and make sure that they, they get their ducks in a row sooner rather than taking it out on the hapless people that, uh, you know, don't know the back or the front end of the aircraft. Now, whilst you were mentioning that, another thought crossed my mind. Irrespective of which airline it is, Muslim, African, European, whichever airline, the latest, up-to-date and the best equipment, and I'm talking about equipment, I mean aircraft, and uh, cabin crew, etc., etc., will always be designation designated for a the home country, for, of course, from where it flies out, and all go to the European or American markets. All the shitty ones that have seen 30, 40 years of service and things like that, those aircraft will come to places like Johannesburg, to Africa, mm -hmm. and the rest of the place. So that again is blatant racism. 
Well, Ba, you called a spade a spade, and uh, that's why I like uh, the way you, you know, you're an asset to broadcasting in that uh, you don't pand up to anyone. If they're the fault, you say, hey, fix that up. Now, let's talk about Hootsplate, Lekanam Dai, Hootsplate to go international. Now, this is our country, Ba. Mm. <laughs> and uh, tell us about Hootsplate, plans well, out the way for it being international, <laughs> Ba. A lot, of, a lot of us might not really know where Hood's Rate is. Well, I do know that there, there is an uh, Air Force, Army Air Force base there somewhere. But uh, Hood's Rate is located uh, in Limpopo somewhere on the Mapamalanga Limpopo border. Uh, that's where it is, more or less. And uh, the airport itself is uh, called Eastgate Airport. And uh, discussions are underway to operate under an international airport license. Uh, their COO indicated that talks are ongoing with the uh, International Civil Aviation Organization as well as uh, South African Civil Av- Aviation Authority uh, to sort of clear whatever hurdles there might be and comply with all the requirements for them to uh, be recognized as an international airport per se. And uh, they hope that this process is concluded by the end of this year. And uh, it reflects the support from the Limpopo president and the mayor of Maruland. And uh, the only reason why this is happening, by is uh, because of its location. It serves as a vital gateway to the Kruger National Park. And uh, it has, on average, over 7,000 monthly passengers. And that's from uh, our local... Uh, airlines such as Airlink, Sam Air, and of course, uh, private uh, charters. And uh, of course, the decision uh, to make this go international stemmed from the passenger numbers that uh, come in primarily from Central Europe and Scandinavian countries who are crazy about uh, game and all that sort of thing, safaris and all that. And uh, would you believe that the numbers are quite, uh, you know, considerable at 71,000 annually, right? Uh, so uh, that's like about uh, 6,000 or more passengers every month. And this was before the COVID pandemic, mind you. So, uh, yeah, that that is the, uh, the rationale behind the whole thing. And, of course, it will face competition from Kruger's Mapumalanga International Airport, right, uh, that is located some... 150 kilometers away. And uh, that airport, Kruger's airport, briefly operated intercontinental flights, but then discontinued due to the insufficient demand. So I'm just hoping that these guys can swing it and make sure that it can run, uh, you know, uh, indefinitely. And they feel that they have a case because of the fact that, uh, you know, they got airlines uh, that will be running international flights from Hootsbrake. Uh, with potential routes uh, extending into the neighboring countries like Mozambique, Botswana, Harare, Big Falls, and St. Helena. So uh, let's remain optimistic and hope it works out because that will give us another international airport. And I think it will serve well for those people that are dedicated to coming to our game ranches and safari. Yeah, but, you know, it will make for good business sense, uh, number one. And uh, number two, whilst you're talking about these airports, uh, was it a private airport uh, before? But as you said, the South African National Defense Force was there involved. Mm-hmm. So it 
it wasn't a private uh, airport. It was uh, run by the municipality of the area. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I, I don't think it's a private airport, unlike Lanseria and places like that. No, I think, uh, you know, Hood Spray has got a good case, and I think it would be something that would uh, augur well for the tourism industry in that area. You know, the fact that you got to, if you most times come in internationally, you got to land at uh, either Lanseria or uh, or Tambo and take another connecting flight to the, to Kruger's airport and things like that. It's a bit of a schlep. And the thing is, as you get older, the thing is you're not inclined to look at too many stopovers and hop-ons, hop-offs and things like that. So I remain hopeful and uh, if they can swing it, well and good for them. I'm sure it will give their uh, location a good boost economically and otherwise. Absolutely, as you said, uh, easy travel destination to the Kruger National Park. Well, Bob, we'll end off with the most Googled travel destination for, what was it, was it last year? Which was yeah. it, Bob? Yeah, they looked at uh, the whole of uh, 2023, 12 months, and seeing that we're moving, we have moved into 2024. Uh, they looked at the uh, ones that were most searched online, and top of the pops, of course, was Greece. And this is renowned for its rustic villages and, of course, the uh, uh, world-renowned and vibrant uh, Mykonos with the island offers uh, award-winning restaurants, elegant bars, luxurious hotels. And, of course, you know, for the people that frequent that destination, the crazy party scenes and stunning waters of Greece uh, continues to captivate travelers. And next up is Spain, and Spain is one of Europe's most beautiful countries, as you know. And it was, uh, you know, the second uh, most searched destination online. And uh, of course, it attracts crowds in summer, but their mild winters uh, provides off-scene uh, sort of possibilities for tranquil escapes. And especially those who have, uh, you know, uh, inclined, uh, you know, Islamically, there's uh, lovely tours that uh, do Islamic Spain, have been doing for decades now. And having been to Spain myself, oh, wow. It just shows you what civilization was like in the in the heyday of Islam in Spain. Something out of this world, even though it is so many centuries gone. And uh, well worth visiting. And of course, there are uh, other popular uh, areas and places like uh, Seville and Cordoba and all those places to go to. And of course, a magical experience. In position number three is Italy. And this is, of course, a timeless traveler's paradise. Pristine beaches, bustling cities, Milan's unforgettable shopping, Florence's culture and luxury exploration, and of course, Rome's culinary delights. And uh, Italy got something for somebody, for everybody, ma. And of course, its rich cultural offering, offerings, art galleries, museums, etc. It just keeps it there as a perennial favorite for anyone going to Italy. Well worth visiting. Portugal, that's on the lips of a lot of South Africans who are wanting to make a move from this country for whatever reason. Uh, it's a treasure trove for travelers. I was there just when, in July last year. Beautiful. Uh, only about uh, 10 or 12 million population throughout uh, the length and breadth of the country. Uh, you can go on the freeway, beautiful roads, no traffic at the busiest of times. So. Uh, it's a far cry from what we got here, by, and I must say it appealed to me uh, greatly. 
And uh, of course, uh, it also has uh, natural beauty and of course its rich cultural history. And, uh, you know, you'll be hard pressed to to say no to this country. Its appeal is evident in its status as one of the uh, best search uh, destinations. And in uh, first place, of course, is Croatia. And this has steadily grown to become one of uh, Europe's premier travel hotspots. Uh, the uh, the people there are a bit offish. They might uh, come across as being a bit brash. I don't know, depending on who they're talking to or whatever the case may be. I was also there in, in July. And uh, they've got the old town that uh, features in that Game of Thrones, uh, Soapy. So that uh, draws a whole lot of crowds. But other than that, uh, it's got... Uh, a beautiful coastline, the Dalmatian coast, all 4,000 kilometers of it, and picturesque beaches, ideal for surfing, swimming, and uh, yachting, and motorsport, I mean, you know, motorboats and things like that. Very beautiful. And uh, it is, of course, a much sort of uh, after destination as well. And the only thing I found is that uh, because of its mountainous nature, the speed limits are terribly low, most of them 60Ks, a lot of the way, uh, single lane, some are dual lane, and just about everywhere there's a camera hidden. So if you're going out there, you've got to be careful. And uh, so uh, if you look at those top five, there are a lot, uh, a lot of others that were also in the top 10 that are worth looking at if you are considering taking a break and going to Europe uh, anytime soon. I tell you, Ba. When you fly your plane on Travel Express, you make for, you know, a smooth flight and time to now land. And that is <laughs> how beautiful you landed your plane like the pro you are. Really enjoyed the flight. And now, Captain, your parting words uh, this evening. Yeah, certainly. And uh, it is said that there should exist among the citizens neither extreme poverty no, again, excessive wealth for both are productive of great evil. And I believe that is so true. I mean, if you look at the situation today, it's the haves and the have not. The haves are too busy wanting to rule the mm -hmm. world. And the have not are they just wallowing in the mire. What else can they do, unfortunately? The system is rigged. Yeah, I know those that have it not, Abba. Mm. Uh, I mean, do you find them bitter? And sometimes, not you know, really. it's... Not mm. really. Mm. Talk to me. Some of them, depending on where you go and who you talk to and engage with, they are much better company, salt of the earth, and are more giving and more friendly and warmer than all these snot-nosed ones that have money and drive uh, Bentleys and Ferraris and Rolls Royce and whatnot else. Yeah, for all their money. You take the money away and watch mm. it. Yeah, mm. give me a poor person. Yeah, as you, yeah, as you said, the Pharaoh, the Musa syndrome, mm. uh, that is there, and we'll see it all the time. And uh, those are, that are the Moseses, they'll have success in the Akhira and the Dunya too. Uh, mm. Ba, you were absolutely brilliant, as I said. I really enjoyed your company. You have a beautiful evening ahead. Inshallah, we'll talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Walaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Take care and God bless. And uh, of course, to all our listeners out there, thank you for giving me the opportunity again.
Now, you're most welcome, Ba. Yes, I uh, really like to thank uh, Luke Kolo for top engineering this evening. And uh, keep it locked on to Marcus Sahaba for beautiful programming. From the team and I, till we meet you again, we bid you. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.